Welcome, everyone. My name is Barbara McGloin. I'm the Associate Director of Career Development at Columbia University School of Professional Studies. I'm today's host for Behind the Scenes podcast series, which consists of a number of interviews with professionals discussing provocative career-related topics to set the stage for students. The topic of today's podcast is how to use data and storytelling to persuade in your career. I'm here with Benjamin Royce, who is the head of performance data science for global agencies at Google. A little bit more about Ben. During the workday, Ben works on building machine learning-based insight tools for Google Search and YouTube. He works with advertisers and agencies on trend analysis, best practice development, and how AI is changing creativity. At night, Ben is a lecturer in MS Applied Analytics program at Columbia University in New York. He did his undergraduate bachelor's degree in information studies at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and his master's in information and knowledge strategy at Columbia University. Welcome, Ben. Let's get started. Thank you. What is storytelling to you? Storytelling is a great tactic to, one, be persuasive and, two, be remembered. I think being memorable is really important when it comes to long-term persuasiveness. If they can't remember it, uh, you're going to struggle. Uh, and storytelling is probably the best weapon that anyone can use uh, in terms of being persuasive in an organization. So what makes a good story then? Everyone knows a great story when you hear it. It's like watching a rocket take off. You know, it's, uh, it's really, really fun to watch. Um, but a great story has a good arc and is memorable. You should be able to recall it. It's a, it's a tool that sort of reverse engineers the human brain to memorize information or very complex information can be distilled down to a story. Uh, it often has much, much longer life than it would as just a stat or, or a talking point. So that makes me think, do you start with the story or do you start with the data? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would probably go back and forth. If you force fit a story uh, to data, it's you'll smell it a mile away, right? Um, when you force fit data to a story, uh, it, it can seem clunky. So uh, I think the, the art of it, not the science, but the art of it is going back and forth until you discover that little hook that might be in the data or might be in the story um, that, that's supportive. And it's, it's really tough to do that, but it does require a lot of back and forth. Uh, that's why you can show data to a group of people and they'll all have a different takeaway from it because all of them see a different hook. I would argue that some hooks are better than others, no question. Um, but a good story that is supported by data, I've noticed typically does better than uh, uh, data that is sort of force fit into a story. That's really interesting. So you're describing a bit about how data and stories are connected. Can you give us an example of when that worked really well? I think in the anything in the financial space or public health space is often there's tons of data that's available, more than enough data to make a point, um, but it doesn't land to the very people it needs to land with. So I've worked with a number of banks, for example, that want to incentivize uh, saving for retirement or it just a savings account in general, or maybe it's a bond of some sort. Uh, and they talk about it with this language that is very financial sounding. They talk about it where it comes off as you're not speaking to a person who has never bought a, a, a savings account or a bond of any kind. Um, and if you tell them a story about how someone in a similar situation with them had this 
sort of output. It could be a financial output. Maybe they were, you know, they were ahead of years ahead in savings, or they were able to, you know, save for retirement faster or cheaper than they thought. Um, all of a sudden, the concept lands. Um, other examples are in in politics and in public health. Um, one of my favorite ones is the income inequality uh, argument in the United States, which is actually a really complex issue. Is how much wealth is distributed across the spectrum of the population. And I saw a video that used visualization uh, through a very simple data set to make the case is that three different versions of the data. And they said, one is this is what uh, people think the ideal distribution should be. And the second one was what they think the distribution actually is. And then the third one was what it actually is. And all three of them were very different. And they used the transitions between them to show what you think, what you think it should, and what it is are all very different. And it was a very complex, um, big data set that was simplified to a very simple visual uh, and then was compared across three. And I think the rule of threes is a great way to, to use that is there are three perspectives to anything at least. Uh, so that was a really good way to communicate wealth inequality in the United States uh, and to sell financial products that are usually kind of boring to most people. Uh, that is a great way to to make it clear on what is what is important and why it matters to them. And visualization through data and therefore storytelling can do that. So given the complexity of a topic like that, how do you think that information is best delivered? When it's complex, I mean, one of the problems that I dealt with, I think anyone of an analytical mind deals with, is they process a lot of information better than the non-analytical mind. That's good for them. It's terrible for communications, right? They're, the charts are more complex than they need to be. It should be simplified. So I think one of the best things to do is visualization. And that's why I love a good, well-designed uh, graph or chart is worth, I mean, it's like picture is a thousand words a great chart is worth a thousand data points you know um and i think that's the best way to do it and then to connect something that makes it relevant to the user and that's part of the storytelling thing so making it either seem like it's them in that situation or telling them a a, a story of the data that is what they should be doing or what they should care about you have to make that emotional case and I don't think we do that enough, and especially in industry, we're unusually bad at it. So it almost sounds like you're weaving back and forth. There are data points, and you interweave the story to tell this much longer narrative. Is Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Um, I, I always start with data. I think that's a good premise to be on. It means you're not off in really weirdo territory, right? And you can do that if you're not careful. Um, Start with data and then find the interesting things that surprised you in that data set. And there's always something. Um, even if the chart is flat, there's something interesting about why is it flat? Shouldn't it be growing? Or maybe we can track it over time. Or maybe we can uh, look at compared to averages or benchmarks. There's all sorts of things we can do to find something interesting. And I really don't believe people when they say there's nothing interesting in the data. I, that just sounds like you didn't go deep enough. Um, and that's why I focus a lot on data literacy as a as a core competency is because you, you won't be able to find that interesting data hook if you don't have basic data literacy um, uh, working with you. And what about your audience? How much do you uh, vary the content given your audience? Not a lot. Actually, best the, the human brain doesn't change by industry, right? <laughs> um, the way we process information is quite uh, simplistic. The simpler, the better, almost always. 
Um, now, the premise of what you're talking about is the, probably the variable there. So if I'm talking to a CEO, I'm going to talk about opportunities or threats, essentially. Uh, and I'm going to show that in the data uh, and then tell them a story about maybe this has happened to someone else that they're familiar with. Or here's the possibilities of what I see. What are you going to do about it? Versus if I'm talking to a CFO or I'm talking to someone anyone in, in, in the finance realm, I'm going to talk about value and investment, right? And that might have opportunity, but I'll probably uh, change the story a little bit or the output, but the data should, I mean, should stand on its own. It should stand on its own in terms of if it's valid, the story on top of it should be adjusted to the audience. So that's a great segue. Let's talk a little bit more about how data and storytelling can be used to persuade in your career specifically in presentations and interviewing, because that's a different type of audience. We work with a lot of data. I personally work with data every day. When I look back at what did people remember about what I said, it's funny. They're like, oh, the guy with the spider chart, the guy with the big messy thing. Like One of my tools that creates a big complex network graph, um, one of my managers just said the thing with the all the tiny ants all over it, right? It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't the engineering that went into it. It was the output that they remembered. And that's the visualization argument. Um, but more importantly, they remember, yeah, I remember you said that you found X and that was, they'll remember that. Like, how did you get there? They don't, they don't remember the name of the tool. They don't remember the report name. They barely remember my name, but they do remember, uh, what I said that was, that sparked their interest. And you can see in an audience, uh, when you're talking, even in meetings, it doesn't have to be a presentation, a big one. Uh, in meetings, you can see when people sort of perk up, right? Like that's why I say great storytelling is like is like a rocket taking off. It's hard to look away from a rocket taking off. It's an amazing feat, and you don't want it to go wrong. There's a lot of tension there, right? Um, people don't want you to fail. Uh, I think people forget that when they're when they're presenting or they're talking or they're you know, just speaking up in a meeting. Um, they want success. Everyone pretty much is rooting for success, um, and. If you can get that little hook that people remember, it will spread like wildfire and it'll have way more influence than the amount of meetings you can possibly have or the amount of presentations you can possibly give, right? A really good talking point um, that that is, is data focused is defensible and can spread really far. And then when people are looking for that answer or looking for something similar, they'll come to you. This is just great career development in general. So that almost argues for simplicity in your messaging. Mm -hmm. The more data fluent people become, I feel like the worse they get at communicating it. It's sort of like an inverse graph. Uh, and because, you know, they are focusing on process and they're making sure it's good and they're making sure it's thorough and they've found everything, right? Which is good. You want that. The challenge has become, how do you dumb it down to the thing that really matters to the people who didn't go through that process? And that's hard. It's like really really creative minds uh, often go through quite a ridiculous process to get to that really simple thing, right? I think they know the value of simplicity. I think the data community could, could take a big lesson from the, the creative community on that one. Um, but yeah, it should be whittling it down and removing anything that doesn't ultimately support your point. And even then, if it only barely supports your point, you should consider getting rid of it. Simplification is more important. Um, than, than, than showing how thorough everything was all the time. So that presents real challenges if I'm a candidate in an interview situation. Let's, let's consider that scenario for a minute because the, the tendency is to think I have to persuade them to hire me. So I want to give them as many data points as possible to move that needle to a yes. 
Yeah. How do you how do you think about a situation like that? I would take the position of a little bit of empathy towards the not necessarily the employer, but to the interviewer. Um, I've interviewed probably a uh, hundred different analysts or data scientists. Um, I've found patterns in which ones end up doing better in the end or where they end up even. Uh, persuading someone to hire you is actually probably the wrong approach. You should make it easy to hire you, right? Still let the, the, the ball is still in their court. Of course, at the end of the day, you can't protest a no really that easily in the employment world. Um, so make it easy for them to hire you. And you do that, I think, two ways. One, you have to answer, you have to meet the requirements that they're really looking for. Um, I just recently gave a talk that said that getting an interview uh, is about at 10% chance, pretty much on average across thousands and thousands of candidates. And on average, they only met 55% of the requirements. Okay, So you're talking about someone who's interviewing a lot of people who have quite a diverse background, at least in terms of requirements. And if you're not telling a story, like they'll say, oh, tell me about Tell me about yourself or tell me about how you got here, something like that. Really easy softball question. This is your chance to hit it out of the park immediately. Your, you should know your life story and it should be well-defined, refined, and simple, right? Um, I, I'll never forget the, the maybe seven, eight years ago, I interviewed um, a lot of kids are, that were right out of college. And the challenge there is when they're right out of, this is undergrad, when they're right out of undergrad, uh, there's not a lot of differentiation amongst them, right? Because they're early in their career. You know, that, that's fine. We've, they have a standard, which is that education, but they don't have um, great examples to show yet. Some of them have some extracurricular stuff, and that's what separates a lot of them. I'll never forget. I, this was seven, eight years ago. I interviewed a guy named Joe, and he told me a story about how he had sort of uh, hacked a remote control boat, and he was tracking the analytics on how efficient he could make the motor. I don't remember any other candidate from that from that series of interviews I did, but I remember Joe and his you know, little remote control boat, right? And that wasn't even relevant to the job. <laughs> I mean, a little bit maybe on the analysis side, but it, we weren't working on boats. Like, it had nothing, but it was a great story. And when you're doing lots and lots of interviews, the stories are what stick. You know, they have a longer life. So I would make sure you have your life story uh, pretty much sewed up and then be able to tell short versions of very big complex things in your life. Uh, I talk about how I started a department and it was one of the toughest things I ever did. And I say, I, did I get everything right? No. Did I get most of it right? Yes. It's still here, you know? Uh, and that's, they're like, okay, got it. You know, this person has done X, they, they learned Y and the ultimate output was Z. That's uh, a very simplistic story frame. And, and I think every student has the ability to do that uh, in, in an interview, just have them lined up and ready to go and practice them. It's all about practice. Which is interesting because I think some um, students feel if I start with a story or if I tell a story, I'll never get to my qualifications. But you're suggesting that you present your qualifications in more of a storytelling format. Yeah. I would. Your, if your qualifications aren't a critical part of the story, well, you should ask yourself a couple questions there, right? Um, they, you should try and make your story relevant and work them in there. They're not um, – there's – I've never seen an interview feedback form that was a bunch of checkboxes. I've never seen one. And I've interviewed a lot of people at a, n a number of companies. I've never seen a checkbox system. Uh, it's usually written feedback, long format written feedback, and that is very conducive to a story um, and easily transferable. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would 
the stories should have something to do with your qualifications because it'll make it a better story. But should you sit there and say like, oh, I got this or I got this GPA? I think the fact that you're in an interview at that point, they've probably looked at that and now they're looking for what's the differentiator and the storytelling will do that. So given that that requires some um, preparation and practice for most individuals, how do you keep that balance between being prepared and being authentic? Yeah. Um, I think people should practice telling their stories and removing all the sentences that don't, that don't add uh, to the story. Um, one of the big storytelling things I teach in, in my class is uh, the difference between uh, then and because. If your points of your story are connected by then, you're just telling a sequence of events that doesn't necessarily make a story, right? If you say this happened because this, you know, because that or because Y and X, then you start to get a much more compelling interconnected story. You should practice it. The second thing I tell my students is that storytelling in general, requires a lot of energy. It requires expending a lot of energy. Uh, when you give a good presentation, it's not like you were out like chopping down trees or something like that. You will feel almost exhausted if you put in the energy. And when you put in the energy, it never sounds rehearsed. It sounds professional. Those are really good tips and really good advice. So I think um, we've covered a lot of different things here. Um, let's wrap up a bit and think about three important considerations to use in data and storytelling to persuade in your career. Do you have some other thoughts or other tips that we haven't already touched on? Sure. Uh, I would start with the resume. Look at your resume and say for every major sort of section or bullet on that resume, you should have a short story that tells the story of those uh, uh, of the things that are in there. Um, that will make your the first half of your interview much easier and much more consumable by, by that uh, interviewer. Uh, the second thing is if you're showing tables of data, I think you've done it wrong. Every table should be visualized. There's no reason to make someone go back and forth like a tennis match, going to like left side to the right side, to the left side to the right side. There's no reason to do that. It shows almost a contempt for the consumer of that, right? Everything should be visualized when it can be visualized. Um, and the third thing is I would never stop refining those stories. I, I, there's no story uh, that can't get better can't be told with more more energy or with with in a shorter amount of time. Uh, one of the best things that one of my uh, associates once sent uh, sent me was the video of the first uh, Mickey Mouse at when Disneyland first opened. You don't recognize this mouse. It was a Mickey Mouse was a re, re, constant refinement by Walt Disney, and he's one of the greatest storytellers in history, right? Uh, and if you look at that mouse, and I think it was the late 1940s, it doesn't. They were like, okay, we can improve that. The the mouth it actually has a lot of big teeth. It's actually a little a little scary. They realized that if you're going to, you can't be scaring children with that. Okay, we've made a refinement now. Uh, it, you should be constantly refining your stories. I'm always refining them. Um, and the best storytellers never tell it the exact same way twice. Especially because they're not using it in the same set of circumstances. Um, so you'd have to refine them given the set of circumstances that you're using it and who you're speaking to. Other final thoughts about the art of storytelling infused with data? Yeah. I, everyone wants to be data-driven. The problem is the promise of data has sort of fallen a little bit flat in a number of organizations because the delivery vehicle was bad. They said, oh, I, I have a database here. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't do anything for an executive who has to make a decision. Um, 
framing uh, and and being data literate, but framing it up for the right audience and changing it. Like there's no presentation that I don't have three versions at least of, right? Because I who I'm talking to, I'm adjusting the way that I talk. Um, people think that's wasteful. Uh, I don't see them doing as much communicating, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the proof's in the pudding there. Uh, so yeah, I would uh, say that you should have multiple versions. Data should be visualized and practice. You'll find something new all the time. Thanks so much for joining us, Ben. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. And thanks to all our listeners. And join us for future episodes on the Behind the Scenes podcast series. I'll leave you all with this message. Every single one of you has a purpose. It's developed from your passion. And when one is on point with your purpose, it can help change the world for the better. What's your motivation? Thank you.